So, so my name is Bobby, um, my wife Hannah, our little son Edward. Uh, we are so very grateful to be in this section of New Jersey uh, and to live our lives with all of you. Uh, so thank you for having us here. You know, I uh, have many points in my life. I've been in a place where I essentially felt content and yet still wanted more. And, and like, was like, okay, amen, I'm happy with my life, I, I'm pleased with it, but I can feel like I should be doing more. And, you know, kind of my, my natural uh, intention is often to take on far more than I should and say yes to things. And Larry knows, he's, uh, he's read quarterback many a time to, to been like, wait a second, hold on. Uh, but, but yeah, what's amazing is that often in those times, even though I'm generally content, I'm still lacking some sort of fulfillment. And what I've found is that in those moments, if I turn to a scripture like Colossians 3, it can help to refocus me and to help me more clearly see the life that God has intended. So we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning talking about the Colossians 3 life. Okay. Um, and Hannah, Caroline, Leslie, I know that they're memorizing this passage, and it is this kind of incredible little picture of what the Christian life should be, ought to be, that we can take on and, and grasp for ourselves and, and take hold of. And so I'm really excited to, to get to share a few things from this, this scripture today and help myself and all of us continue to return to God's vision for what a human flourishing life can look like. Okay. You with me? All right. Amen. Uh, so let's start, you know, the the letter to the church in Colossae, uh, you know, a, the commentator, J.B. Lightfoot, uh, famously wrote, or as, as famous as any commentator of the Bible can get, I guess, okay. uh, famously wrote that Colossae was the least important church to which any epistle of St. Paul was addressed, right? So he's saying, of all of St. Paul's letters to the various churches, this was the one to the least important church, mm. which it seems kind of offensive <laughs> to call them out like that. But, but amen. We do know that based on Colossae's location within the kind of Roman highway system, uh, that this was a, a community that was likely small, but incredibly diverse. Uh, and had a, a good mixture of, of Jewish and uh, Gentile members. And, you know, I honestly, I like to think of it as the letter to the Colossians was written to anybody. It was written to us, right? There was no specific thing about the town or city that, like, was the very reason why this was written. Uh, there certainly are threads of, hey, there's, there's some false teachers that you guys need to be paying attention to. Uh, but there's not, like, some strongly worded statement of why this letter was, was presented to them. And what they're given is, again, just like a, a, a general overview, essentially, of Christianity. Uh, so I love this letter because it, it really feels like this is written to me. This is written to all of us. You know, we're, we're just a small, diverse group in a not-too-important church in the general scheme of things. And, and I like that. I like that that's where we exist in place of Christianity. Um, you know, it's actually interesting that, did you know that every book in the New Testament with the exception of Philemon, either directly or uh, alludes to warnings about false teaching. Mm -hmm. 
it, it's so interesting that that is like such a critical piece of the New Testament. And I think it's important because we are all so prone to, again, chase after our itching ears and look for alternatives to the truth, because sometimes the truth is inconvenient and sometimes it's very painful. But again, I love this scripture so much because it takes what could be a complicated thing and saying, like, guys, stop paying attention to all of these complicated things and instead pay attention to what your life ought to be and build from there. And use that as the basis in which you interact with the world. And use that as the basis that you consider all of these more complicated matters. Amen. Amen. So today we're going to be looking at the Colossians 3 life. And, you know, um, most people would say like 3.1 to 3.17. Uh, probably more appropriate is to go from 3.1 to 4.6. Uh, there are some complicated pieces in the middle that we would need to discuss. We will talk about that. Uh, they're called paterfamilias. We'll, we'll get into that. Um, but... What's really cool is that this section, again, first it starts off with Paul exclaiming like, hey, you guys need to refocus your pursuits and refocus your mind. And then it tells us what we ought to die to, uh, literally deaden or cease completely. Then it says what we ought to fill our life up with instead. And finally, uh, after the pattern familias, it also gives us some very practical advice for how to live our lives. So uh, enough of an, an intro. Are you guys ready? Yeah. So let's let's start. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And, you know, in this first if, it's not really like an if-then statement. It's more of like, so if, like, since. Uh, some translations will even say, like, because of or since you have been raised with Christ. Uh, Paul is very aware that he is writing to Christians at this point. And sometimes we might look at some of the next couple of scriptures and be like, oh, this applies to those who are far off. No, it applies to us, uh, to those that have made the decision to follow Christ. It's, it's, it's aimed at us. And, you know, why a radical expectation of Christianity here. That that somehow, like the scripture in Romans, that because we have been freed of sin, that we would even be capable of changing what our pursuit or our mindset is. Have you ever thought about how difficult it is to actually change your mind on something? Yeah. Think about the things that you hold true. Think about how challenging it is to, to even go a little bit off of one of those things. And maybe you're, you're more humble and you're more open to, to ideas and, and able to change things. But honestly, once they're locked in there, it is very difficult to move the needle at all. But this is a baseline expectation of Christianity that this is possible. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. The things that you would pursue and consider instead of the earthly, switch it to that which is above. And after this, this first little intro of switching the mindset, it then gets into the section of what we ought to put to death. And certainly this is a challenging scripture, but we need to hear it. This is written to us. 
This is not written to those that are far off, although it is valuable, even if you are far from God, to hear the scripture. So continuing in Colossians 3, 5 through 10, therefore put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient, and you once walked in these things when you were living in them, but now put away all the following. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of your creator. Remember, Paul is writing to Christians here. And you know, the reason that he lays out all of these things in this list is because each one of these things builds upon itself. When you act on any of these evil desires, it comes back with greater intensity. Mm -hmm. And Paul knows that this list of things leads to death, that it will take you and grasp you, and you will not be able to get out of its hold unless you literally put it to death. And, you know, I remember from before I was a Christian, one of my addictions was alcohol. And in college, I drank daily, um, but typically was like blackout drunk three to five times a week. And I remember that feeling every morning, waking up and being like, oh, my goodness, I'm never going to drink again. And I remember the time between that and the very morning till a couple of hours later, when I was like, well, I, I guess it wouldn't be so bad for a little bit tonight. And that intensity of feeling that if I do not get this addiction, I cannot proceed with life. I cannot continue to function the way, way that I, I want to or ought to. And it's just crazy because that's everything on this list. When you give way to anger, you are so ready to give way to more anger. Lust only grows. Revenge only grows. Each of these things, it, it doesn't somehow just be like, oh, yeah, well, now I'm a little bit older, so it's, it's reduced. <laughs> and he, he warns the community, because it, if they don't empty themselves of this, the good that they might ought to do will be crushed. It will be choked out. It doesn't have a chance of flourishing because the, the good words and the platitudes, they mean nothing if we're willing to lie to one another. It means nothing if we're willing to slander one another. And slander is a big one for Christian communities, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is one that is so easy to, to slip into our concept of yeah. what it means to, to kind of live life, like, oh, I'm just concerned about them, just concerned about them. You know, if you see, see someone that needs help, help them. Mm -hmm. right. And if you are incapable of helping them, then pray and find someone else that you can together help them with. Yeah. There, there should be no place 
in where we're okay with deriding one another and not having the conversation. And, and Paul says all this because he realizes that they're never going to get out of the world that they're stuck in. We're never going to get out of the world that we're stuck in if we're willing to talk badly about each other. If we're willing to look at the world just as it is with our sinful natures and not the new creation that God has promised us. And not this greater world, uh, this, this promise of unity in a community. And so seriously, sit with that one. Is there anything on this list that you look and you're like, oh my goodness, no, I do slander. I do. I do it in the, in the name of caring for others, but I, I talk badly about them. Put it to death. To death. There's a way to radically live without that in our lives, and it is better. It is completely better. Paul continues after this. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision, non-circumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and in all. Again, warning about the divisions that naturally come up within a community. This idea that we can look at the external, the circumstantial, the where we were placed, our station in life, and somehow let that come as a wedge between us. That we could somehow use minor disagreements or not seeing the world exactly the same and not saying that like, well, wait a second, unity is so much more valuable that we could come together as a group and look past all of these things which are meaningless and, and lose that to instead grasp what is meaningful. Is again, this idea that God has promised us this holy mountain where all nations, all people, all tongues would come together in unity, in worshiping God, in loving him. This incredible future picture of what the world ought to be, it gets stuck in the differences that we can see and are right in front of us. And that doesn't mean that we become blind to our differences and pretend like they don't exist. Right. But it means that we never let that get in, in between our love for one another and our care for what God is doing in the world more than the fact that we have different lives and that we look different. Right. Satan is desperate to divide us. He's desperate to put us into different camps. And it is our human nature to be afraid of those that do not exist within our tribe politically, racially, physically, occupationally, whatever. It is our human nature to be afraid of that which we do not know. And at this base, we're all just people. We're all just God's children. We're all just this creation that he desires to see all of us come together. And so he warns the community here very strongly, like this stuff that you're looking at, it doesn't matter compared to what God is doing. So let us continue because now he turns his attention. He said what we ought to empty out of our lives and now tells us what we ought to fill it up with. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, 
so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And what a list, right? What a list of what we ought to fill our lives up with. Compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, love, the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. Be thankful. Be thankful. He repeats things about gratitude over and over. With wisdom, teach and admonishment and admonish through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. See, sing with gratitude. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And finally, giving thanks. Do you want a full life? Do you want to be fulfilled? Live out this. Because there is no career. There is no use of our creative potential. There is no relationship that will ever give the same fulfillment of just living your life like this. And you even think about how some of this interacts with some of the things that we ought to avoid. You will not slander if you're actually letting the peace of Christ rule your hearts. If you are slandering, you do not have the peace of Christ, the peace of Christ ruling your heart. Because when you have the peace of Christ, you're not in this place of trying to control others' activities. You're not feeling like, I need to be the one that's going to decide how this goes. They ought to. They ought to. And when that stuff slips away, you would never put down your brother or sister. You would never talk ill of them. When we are filled with patience and kindness and gentleness, anger, wrath, malice, it has no hold over our heart. When we admonish one another with teaching, it removes the sting of sin's deceitfulness. We're able to see things more clearly because we care about one another and not because we're trying to control each other's lives, but because we're saying, whoa, look out. This other stuff, that first list, it will destroy you. All of those sinful desires, they only build on top of each other and cause more and more pain over time. Please let us be rescued from that, right? That's what having this in your heart actually does. Like there's no way we let division warm in between us when we're filled with compassion and kindness. Right. It just doesn't happen. Right. Yep. And so we look at this list and we think, wow, like that is a high calling. It's it's challenging, but it is not impossible. And not only is it not impossible, but again, that is the answer to any lack of fulfillment that you feel. All right. There's there's no job that's going to, to do what this will do in your life. 
There, there is no media that you can consume, no art piece that you can watch that will ever have the same impact on helping you feel fulfilled than this list of things. And so Paul is desperately trying to shake this little community that's having some sort of troubles because of false teachings, and he's saying, stop paying attention to that stuff and treat each other with kindness and lay down your lives for one another because that is actually what will fulfill you. And so if you're not sure how you're going to use this summer, take this list and grab something on it and say, this is the summer that I learn to sing with gratitude. That I learn how to use the, the voice that God has given me, whether it is beautiful or not to others, to honor God, and to take hold of what it means to be filled with gratitude. And I promise you, you will look back at this summer for the rest of your life and say, it was worth it to focus my time and attention on learning how to forgive one another. You know, for me, that was one of the, the most important moments of my, my kind of early years in Christianity. There was someone in my life that repeatedly hurt me and hurt my family. And I kept like stepping up to the plate and being like, okay, I'm going to forgive him. I'm going to, I'm going to forgive. And I would. And then something new would happen. And I was was shuttled all the way back to even before I was a Christian, all the angerness, all, all, all the anger, all the bitterness, and like, okay, I have to come back to this, and I have to work towards forgiving again. And then, at some point, I realized I wasn't forgiving him the way that Jesus forgave me. Because Jesus died for my sins and gave me the offering of forgiveness into the future. He made the choice to die for me long before I was alive and was willing to spit on his grave with how I lived and calling myself a Christian. And so I realized I need to forgive this person the way that Christ forgave me. And I need to offer forgiveness into the future. That although, yeah, maybe new things will come up, in my heart, in my mind, he is forgiven. Amen. And, and the relationship that I now have with that individual is the best it's been my whole life. And it doesn't mean that other stuff hasn't come up, that it's been like, okay, well, that's not cool. I've had to have conversations like, no, you can't say that to this person. That's not okay. But I am so much more prepared to have those conversations because each time something occurs, I don't get swung back into the anger and the bitterness and the wrath that I let rule my heart. And instead, the peace of Christ rules my heart in that category for that situation. And I'm so grateful for the time that I took to get my heart from not truly forgiving to, you know, forgiving situationally, transactionally, to instead saying, no, I'm going to forgive into the future. And it was painful to do that. It wasn't like just like, oh, this is this is easy. Honestly, getting to, to any of these things, it's not easy, but it's worth it. It's actually far more difficult to take on these things fully and completely and honestly than it is 
to, to stop some of the sins that are originally listed. It, it's almost easier to avoid that sort of stuff than truly taking on and grasping this, but the real value of what Christ is trying to do in our hearts and lives and trying to transform us into is, is in these words. Yeah. Amen. So let's, let's keep going here. So we need to talk for a minute about household codes because we're going to get into the section of scripture that would honestly be easier to avoid. <laughs> like when you're teaching about Colossians 3, it would be far easier to just not mention it and then proceed with our days. But it's there, so we ought to talk about it. We talked about that. All right. So, so again, in in the ancient, ancient Greek, ancient Roman world, uh, many authors and many philosophers produced different paterfamilias. It was this idea of these are instructions to give to households to keep order in society, and the things that were often listed in there, many of them we we immediately recoil to about certain people submitting to other people. Um, literally about slaves obeying their masters. We, we see that and we're like, that, that doesn't have place in our modern world. And in fact, we know without question that some people have even used some of the scriptures that we're about to look at to endorse the practice of slavery, to use that as proof that it's God's design for the world. And that heinous reality exists and we have to be so careful about false teachers. And we have to be so careful about how we use the word of God because it can be twisted. And it can be twisted to have people do heinous things. But the way that Paul uses his paterfamilias is not to go along with the world, but instead to subvert how the world uses household structures and instead put them into submission before God. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, so let's let's read it. Continue. All right. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. So, in most ancient ancient world paterfamilias, that first sentence, it's in all of them. Something along the, those lines. And sometimes much more harshly. And sometimes the woman is spoken of as property compared to the husband. And Paul instead adds this second verse to show the world what it's missing. Husband, love your wives and don't be bitter towards them. And this love is not some feeling, some emotion of like, oh, yeah, I care about them. It's instead a call to enact Christian love towards their wife, to literally lay down their lives for their wives to submit to one another the way that they ought to submit to Christ. And so he's taking what the world has and flipping it on its head to show not just the world as it exists today, but how it ought to, and how going beyond that, God expects from us continual transformation that we would put others' needs above our own. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. The, the, the scripture then continues, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Again, taking something that's expected in these codes, children, obey your parents. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. 
Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart, as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. From the wrongdoer, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. Again, a part of the scripture that would be easier to skip, but it's there in the Bible. And what Paul is saying to a crowd that does not understand what we now do about the value of all human life, and is trying to help them see it. And what we have in the modern world, even all of the fighting that the, the British originally did to stop the slave trade, it was based on Christian morals that come from scriptures like this that help people to see this is not how the world ought to be. And it's beautiful in that nature of Paul showing them you are all the same before God. Think about what he just said previously in the scripture, that all that might separate us or divide us or make us see the world differently, all of that is meaningless compared to the fact that you are God's children and that he has designed you to have a place in this world and to care for others and to live a full, flourishing life by, again, putting other people's needs above your own. So the scripture then continues into what is a more practical uh, close. Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for us to the, for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains, that I may make it known as I should wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each problem. Again, Paul closing the loop on the fact that you guys are facing some tough challenges. The world around you is confusing. There are teachers from all sorts of varieties of philosophies trying to create new worlds but instead you should let again the peace of christ dwell in your hearts and your lives and you should do these things devote yourselves to prayer stay alert in it with thanksgiving stay alert in it with thanksgiving act wisely towards outsiders making the most of your time let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how you should answer each person. Does the worries of this world start to diminish when we look at this scripture? No, right? They're, they're still there. They still like, well, I don't, I don't know how to respond to this thing. I don't know how to teach my kids. I don't know what I'm supposed to say at this job based on what they're telling me I ought to say. We're promised that if we devote ourselves to prayer, that if we stay alert in thanksgiving, that if our speech is gracious, 
that God will give us the words to say. That we can show up in any and all circumstances and situations and with the peace of heart, the peace of Christ dwelling in our hearts, that we would know how to answer. Isn't that incredible? What a promise. Have you ever been gearing up to go into a conversation that you're a little overwhelmed by and you don't know what you're supposed to say? Devote yourselves to prayer. We, we try to make things more complicated than they are. That's why Paul is not answering all the specific circumstances in this town. And that's why this letter still rings so true to us. Because it's not about the answers to the questions. It's not about the specific words and the circumstance when you have to, to bring truth to a, a situation that's painful. That you have to give grace to a situation that you don't want to give grace to. But instead... It's about filling your life with that which matters, that you are prepared for any and all things. Amen. Does it, again, are you with me? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Blah, blah. So let your speech be gracious and seasoned with salt. Again, I just want to encourage everyone, even if you're not sure about some of the things I said, you can come up and talk to me later. That's, that's fine. Uh, grab something on this list and say, I am going to take hold of this this summer. I am going to beg God in prayer that he transforms my heart and my mind and that he redirects my pursuits and he redirects what I consider and how I use my thoughts that I would more clearly understand, grasp, and take hold of this thing, this word that I'm going to become a more patient individual, that I'm going to let the peace of Christ rule in my hearts, that I'm going to sing gratitude. And I promise you, if you're feeling scared, anxious, unsure of what you ought to be doing with your life, wondering whether or not your career matters, whether or not you're making an impact with your family, if you really take hold of these things, that will diminish you because you will feel more prepared for all situations. Yeah. Thank you.